Well, in the last two weeks, we've been in Esther chapter 9. Uh, we've looked at two incredible reversals that God accomplished. The first great reversal was in Jesus. You don't have to die with your family. We saw the ten sons of Haman brutally executed just like their father ahead of them. And we said, if you come from a pagan family, know that in every way God can change your stars. He can allow you to live in such a way that you don't have to go the route of of your family members, of your predecessors. He can in every way give you a new start and have you be a first-generational Christian in your family. Uh, Last week, we told you that in Jesus, you don't have to have all of your questions answered. We dealt with one of the most controversial texts in the Bible where the people of God in self-defense really took the lives of those who were there to eradicate them The Israelites waged war against a people intent on genocide. And if we're honest, um, that presents some big theological complications and questions. So we looked at them. We talked about the trustworthiness of the Bible. If you have any doubts um, that the Bible gives us what we need, I would encourage you to listen to last week's sermon if you weren't here. It gives us what we need. doesn't always give us the information we'd like to have or we want, um, but it gives us the information necessary for salvation, for usefulness, for truthfulness. I'd encourage you to listen to that. The third reversal this morning we're going to look at is that in Jesus, you don't have to have or live a greedy life. In Jesus, you don't have to live a greedy life. Um, I think it's been since October that we spoke about um, finance. We do that when the scriptures speak about finance. Jesus talked about it more than any other subject. And that, in October, was in a, a membership gathering to celebrate our bold initiative. I think prior to that, it's even been maybe since November of 2017. I mean, here's what I w- would say before we read the text this morning. I, When we come across scriptures like this, I don't have people or groups of people in mind that I'm speaking to. I'm simply leading us through the text that God has led us through. So... Um, it could be possible that nobody in this room has the God of money that they're currently bowing to and worshiping. It could be entirely possible. It could be possible that we're a faithful bunch of frugal frannies who love Jesus and give to kingdom effort. But it could be that there are some who struggle with this in a big way. It could be that there are some in between. So I just pray our hearts are open. I pray that our ears are open. I pray that we'll listen faithfully and hear what God might say to us. We'll begin reading chapter 9, verses 16 through 17. You don't have to live a greedy life. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them. But they laid... Don't miss what's coming next. This is the the hinge point of the text this morning. They laid no hands on the plunder. This is the third time we've read that phrase in chapter 9 alone. I think our author is trying to posit something and get our attention 
to, to check this out. Um, this uh, is, again, the third time we're being begged to take note of this. Um, if you'll remember in chapter 3, when Haman was sending letter couriers out, the enemies of God were encouraged to take advantage of the people of God and not only kill but plunder them or steal from them. And we're talking about everything from bank accounts to property to gold in people's mouths. After they committed genocide, they were going to take everything that the Israelites had. And if we're honest and faithful to the text, we will also point out that in Mordecai's decree in chapter 8, which you'll remember didn't reverse the initial decree, but was in addition to the initial decree of Haman, we see that if, when, and attack, the people of God have the legal right in Mordecai's decree with the king's signet ring to plunder people's goods that are trying to take their life, okay? To take their stuff, to take their estate, to take their land, to take their bank accounts, to take their investments. But here in chapter 9, we read, maybe even to our surprise, that the people of God did not indeed plunder the goods of those who were attacking them. We'll keep reading. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th, making that a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts and food to one another. Here's what's going on here. All the way back in the reign of King Saul, we've, we've mentioned this before, in Samuel 15, it's, it's found that God's people were told not to plunder their enemies. That came out of the very mouth of, of God. And so these people are attacking them. And was this acceptable or was it not? It's legal, but God said not to do it. Were the Israelites in the day of King Saul greedy people? God said, King, don't allow them to plunder uh, the surrounding nations you know, goods, and they did so. You bet they were greedy. Was it acceptable? No, it was not acceptable in the eyes of God, but they did it. So, in fact, generations of God's people, roughly a thousand years between King Saul and now, had followed in that path of taking things that didn't belong to them in warfare, things that God had forbidden. And if we're really honest, we'd say, look back and say, that started with an apple, didn't it? Taking something that God said, no, don't take it, when in Adam and Eve. And so the disobedience just continues. It's important for us to, to understand again, if we, if we jump back, fast forward into Esther's story, that Mordecai, under his decree, God's people actually have a legal right to conquer and plunder those who are attacking them. But here's the big takeaway. 
Just because they have a legal right does not believe does not mean, excuse me, that they have an ethical or a biblical right. Um, we lived on Wisconsin Avenue in in Marshfield, and someone had made an offer on our home when we were trying to sell it and move up here to Stratford, and they gave us a deposit, and the deposit was a few hundred dollars. And later, something personal happened in, in this individual's family, and they had to renege or back out on their offer to purchase. And the Burrises were faced with a decision. Were we going to take what was legally ours or to keep what was legally ours? Or, and I'm not saying it's unethical if you have kept such funds in the past, believe me, but I felt God clearly speaking to me and saying, the money isn't yours in this case, and you need to give it back. And so we found ourselves with a legal right to keep funds, but we felt like God was speaking to us and telling us to return funds to that particular individual. Um, so we gave it back. Here's the point. It may very well be legal, but if God tells you not to do something, don't do it. Amen? Amen. Okay. Are you guys here this morning? Are you awake? Are you present? Okay. Nice to see a smile occasionally. Okay. So this leads to something deeper that Jesus said. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you know what that means? That means that every single day of our lives, we worship. We worship. We do. Um, We worship either the money that we have, or we worship with the money that we have. It means that every dollar we spend, every bill we pay, every expense we incur every investment we make, it reveals something about our heart, what we value, what we believe in. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Some of you may say, gosh, talking about money again, what you're really perhaps saying is, I don't want you to talk about the God that I serve. Little G God. Don't offend my God of money. Don't dishonor my God of money. Don't threaten my God of money that I treasure and that I cherish and that I protect and coddle and adore. Do you know why Jesus talked about money more than any other subject in the scriptures? Do you know why the word of God comes down like a hammer thoroughly often when it comes to this subject, this false idol? Because money is a liar. It's absolutely a liar. It makes promises that cannot be delivered upon. Because a false god of money says, you're defined by those clothes that you wear. You're defined by that outdoor gear that you enjoy. You're defined by what you eat, and you're defined by what you drive, and you're defined by the comfort level of your mattress. So hear what I'm saying this morning. God wants to smash our idols. 
That's what he was doing and telling the people not to plunder the goods that were in front of them. And none of those things, by the way, are necessarily bad things. But even good things can become God things, and that makes them a bad thing. My youth, youth pastor used to say that all the time in high school. Even good, That's not a Burris quote. Even good things can become God things, and that's a bad thing. It's true. The lie is you don't need to die and go to heaven. You can have heaven now. You can have all the comfort. You can have all the luxury. You can live in all the glory. You don't need the God of the Bible. You don't need the local church because your God of money will give you everything that you need. And he'll give it to you now. And you don't. And if, even if you don't have money, don't worry about it. Because there's this thing called plastic. And you can swipe that and there's no need to even wait to get what you want. Just forget the whole borrower is slave to the lender idea and just spend. When God tells us no, did you know it's actually for our good? It's actually for our good. You ask anybody that's got a creditor or a debt collector calling them on a regular basis. And I would assume, maybe some of them would say, it's worth it. I don't know. But, but I would assume that most of them would tell you, most of them would tell you, I wish I wouldn't have done it. It's a tough way to live. God, is he against money? Is he even against having a lot of it? Absolutely not. In fact, if you would go to Jesus' home right now, you would discover this actually kind of quite nice. It's real nice. There's roads paved in gold. I mean, there's pearls and, and jewels galore. Um, Jesus isn't against you making money, and I, your pastor, hope you make lots of it. Okay? What we're against is you spending money in a way that God forbids you to spend it or that you keep it in such a way that God forbids you to keep it. He who is faithful in the little things, the Bible says, will have mastery over much. What an encouraging thought. We either worship our money or worship with our money. This family, the people of God, for a thousand years, a thousand years, has been greedy, 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 greedy. And before we judge them, let's look at what they're passing up. Because this will be tough to pass up, I'm going to be honest. You know what happens when you're a poor Jewish family in this story of Esther? And say you have five sons, and say you're living paycheck to paycheck, and you get an opportunity legally to defend yourself against, say, five wealthy Agagites whose predecessors have been trying to take your family's life forever. And you realize if we beat them, we get five homes. If we beat them, we get five businesses. If we beat them, we get five plots of land. If we beat them, we get five healthy, robust savings accounts. All of it. How many of us would say, well, well gosh, if I got a multi-million dollar estate tomorrow and it's debt-free, 
and it's tax-free, and it's all mine. Who do I got to kill? Don't, don't raise your hand, okay? okay? It'll say something about you also. Don't raise your hand. Who do I got to kill? It's embarrassing if you do this, okay? But, but, but the little attorney inside our head starts working on our airtight defense, of such a decision. And we feed this little attorney, by the way. We take care of this little attorney. We and, and the attorney starts putting thoughts like these into our minds. Oh, and the law says I can kill them because it's self-defense. And, and God's law says self-defense is a good thing. And, and after all, they're Agagites. I mean, they've been hounding us forever. And... And wouldn't it be better for God's people to have all of these possessions instead of pagan people? And I mean, I mean, if we don't touch this valuable stuff, I mean, the looters are going to come in. And, and these are evil people that will have access to all these resources. They'll take it all. The, we can't have the evil people getting rich. That's not, surely God wouldn't want that. That's not a good thing. Yes, we, the people of God, ought to have all this stuff then we could maybe even give like 3% back to God. Maybe. Perhaps. We're feeling good about it. Little attorneys of our fallen, sinful natures begin working overtime, trying to convince us and justify all kinds of financial decisions we make. If you let them. God said, do not do it. Don't fall into the trap. In Thomas Brooks' book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, he talks about how sin is like a bait on a hook. And his basic thought to the illustration is, Satan doesn't care what he baits your hook with. He's got all kinds of bait. He's got a big bait cabinet. And for some, it's money. For others, it's sex. For others, it's fame. For others, it's, it's beauty. For others, it's substances. For others, it's a, a high grade point average. For others, it's comfort. He does not care what he baits your hook with as long as you bite it. And as long as he can begin reeling you in toward death. Satan can even put security neatly on a hook, hiding the shiny metal behind it. And the attorney in our head pipes in and says, After all, Proverbs says that a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. But at some point, right, even security becomes an idol that God wants to Smash so that we can return to relying upon Jesus. And I say that with a financial advisor in the room on a third row. So my question to you is, what business opportunity, what income stream might you need to let pass you by? It's legal. Is it what God's asking you to do? And how many of you perhaps may have already taken what's not yours 
to take. You may, if you were honest, say something like this. I, I really wasn't supposed to have this. Actually, I wasn't supposed to have any of this. And if I added up the value of all this, this tithe that I reluctantly held from God all these years, well, well gosh, it would, it would about add up to the value of what's in my shed or what's in my home. I was supposed to invest in the kingdom, and instead I'm hanging on to things that are not mine spiritually because they were purchased with money that was not mine. And what is so cool about this text in particular is that there is a month and a day that the people of God repented and changed their hearts. Do you know how much heart repentance, by the way, is demonstrated in your finances? That God has truly changed you? It's demonstrated, you know what? The little G God lied to me. I'm going to, to empty my hands a bit and trust in the provision of Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That's what has happened here in this text. There's a single day when individuals repented of a whole legacy a family history of greed. That's what happens in today's text. And bad stewardship. And excess. And they let go corporately. And decided to follow God's instruction. They let go as a people of God. Or think a local church of what was not truly theirs. In an act of worship. And decided we don't want it anymore. And some of you may say, I get it, Pastor. You're in a capital campaign. You need money. No, God will build this building. He absolutely will. If you don't partner in this endeavor, he'll lay it on somebody else's heart. I don't have a doubt in my mind. In fact, he promises the very gates of hell cannot prevail against his local church that's focused on his kingdom mission. What God is after, to the contrary, is the idol that is inside of human hearts because he's good. And he knows it's for our good when those idols are smashed for his glory. And what we see here and what we'll see next week is that the people of God rejoiced. They rejoiced. They throw a party. How many of you know a group of people that throws a party when they didn't win the lottery? Yes! I have no matching letters or numbers. Woo! Come on over. I'm throwing a party because I didn't win the lottery. Bring some food. Because God is my treasure. And he saved me. And he saved my family. And that's the greatest gift of all. I can't get any richer than I already am. Hallelujah. 
And God's people rejoice. We have people in our church family who have sacrificed anywhere from $5. I've never told you that before. The widow gave out of her poverty. Someone in our church promised, pledged $5 to our bold campaign. And and we have on the upper end, the highest end, $100,000. And everything in between. For this bold initiative, you know what they're doing? They're living in a beautiful reversal. God's people don't have to be greedy. They're celebrating the fact that wealth is not an idol of their heart. Hallelujah. And my hope and prayer is that toward the end of this next year, we're going to cut a ribbon toward the end of 2019. And our kids are going to run into an indoor play area. And laughter is going to be like a huge echo chamber inside this building. And we're going to lift our hands in worship to Jesus. And we're going to have a huge celebration party and say, we didn't get rich. We did it. And the kingdom of God advanced. Hallelujah. It'll be a kingdom party. Because it's a great reversal. And here's how this works in an equation. In closing. Repentance from us. Plus. A reversal from God equals rejoicing of the people of God. Okay, I'll put it to you a different way. Repentance, us saying, God, I'm convinced my money has taken the place of the one true God. I'm going to decide to give you what's yours. Plus, a reversal where God says, awesome, you watch, and now I'm going to do something amazing. I'll do more with your 90% than you ever thought of doing with your 100%. Just watch equals a people that is not richer, but is happier. A people who no longer needs their back scratched by comfort and security because they have an immense joy and understanding of the love of God and of his love for other people. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you. Lord, you gave up your only son, Jesus Christ. You care about us. Lord, I pray that we might one day stand before you with less resources and see hands go in the air accepting you as Savior and Lord by people who, for potentially no other reason, visited to check out a new space in town. We pray, Lord, that your mission would advance by the way of a building. The building is not God. It's a tool 
that we can serve the true God in and lead others toward the true God in for decades to come. Lord, help us wrap our minds around this principle that the people of God do not have to be greedy. In Jesus' name, amen.